0: Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast. Explosions and fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're switching things up a little bit and talking to two-time Olympic figure skater, Jeremy Abbott, about his experience performing under pressure. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy.
1: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So for those of us who don't know you, would you mind giving us a brief introduction to yourself and your career?
2: Yeah, to start off with, I am Aaron's stepbrother. So,
0: your proudest accomplishment.
2: Uh, my both my proudest accomplishment and my biggest nightmare. That's right. <laughs> we have stories. Looking like a true brother.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: no, Aaron's a great brother. I I as you mentioned, I'm a two-time Olympic figure skater, four-time US champion, have an Olympic bronze medal for team figure skating, which was a new thing the year that I won. That and otherwise, I am just literally a nobody. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> nobody, whatever. You know, it's so- a nobody who did this amazing thing two times.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I just like watch a lot of Netflix and have depression, but life is good. <laughs> we. <Whee. laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think this is probably the first time I've ever talked to an Olympian. So can, and this, this can be free form, but I'll just give you some basics here. Can you describe like the road to the Olympics and even some semblance in in your language of what it's like to be in the Olympics? Cause I'm having a hard time even imagining what that's like. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, well, it, it always starts like, I
2: think every, every road to the Olympics starts with when you're a child, just having a love for something. Like some sport that just happens to be in the Olympics, but like falling in love with it for some reason or another, and then discovering you have like some semblance of talent at it. Now, like I I, I think in most cases, and anybody who is out there that that isn't who has walked in my shoes can maybe tell me otherwise, but I, I, I feel like it's not always the most talented ones that actually succeed, but you know, there has to be some semblance of talent there. And from there, it's just kind of like you, you start to dream a little bigger and a little bigger and um, you start to work towards those dreams. And it's really just about like the dedication and, and staying committed to, to that dream, regardless of setbacks and injuries and whatever other obstacles kind of get in the way. And then it's just kind of keeping working towards it. And even then, it's still not a guarantee. It's a lot of, a lot of luck and preparation to to be at your best at the right moment yeah (laughs) i think that's the best way i could explain it and then being there is wild it's ultimately like the competition itself like when when i was on the ice is any other competition but there's so much that like is involved there's so much more media attention there's so much more public attention you're doing, it's like when I usually would go to a competition, I would kind of just lock myself in my room. I would go and skate and then I would like, I would have like kind of my safe space with like humans that kept me like relaxed and comfortable and happy. And otherwise I just spent a lot of time like napping, watching TV, like really kind of just tuning out of everything that was kind of outside of my own bubble. But the Olympics is very different because you're required to do a lot of press and media and there's like scheduled times for all of that to take place. And it, it's, there's just a lot that comes with it. And it's, it's fun, it's demanding, but it's really cool to, to get to do all of those things that you don't, wouldn't get to do otherwise.
0: That was an amazing answer. And I feel like we could end the podcast here. We won't, but that <laughs> was really good. <laughs> um, Thank but you for I do your have, time. I'll see you guys yeah, later. Yeah. Peace out everybody. But one follow-up question, and this is really interesting to me because I think I probably would have assumed That Olympians are like preordained at birth, right? Like, oh, somewhere in Sacramento, there's a ice skating Olympian that was just born. But I heard you say that's not actually it. And I've heard other really high achieving people say this. The only one that comes to mind right now, I don't know if this is regrettable or not, is Will Smith. And Mm -hmm. say what you want about the guy, but he's definitely on the top of his game, or at least he was. And he had said nearly the same thing, which was, I'm not the most talented, but you won't outwork me. Yeah and that's like such an interesting way to think about it so that was cool to hear you say it yeah i
2: i mean i've seen it as a coach and i've seen it as an athlete where like there were definitely guys that i competed against that were way more talented that i was worried about that i ended up beating and i just i i have to like chalk it up to like my my drive and and my like my will to make it happen and then as a coach like i've I had my first. one of my first students ended up going to the Olympics. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see that all the way through, but sh- she ended up going. And then I had a student afterwards who was just w- maybe one of the most talented, na- like naturally gifted sk- ice skaters I've ever seen. And she just decided that she wanted to go to college instead and just like just stopped and went off to college. And like, I, I absolutely commend her for that choice. That was what her, that's what she wanted. That's where her, her heart was, but you know, it, it, I, that's why I think it's, it's like, it's not always about the most talented person that's going to succeed. It's about who's going to be the most dedicated and, and, and really just like relentless.
0: Yeah. Or another way of saying it is just the one who doesn't quit. Yeah. <laughs> just, just the one that keeps going. It's shorter. <laughs> very, <I don't>
1: <laughs> so beyond your work ethic, I, I think one of the things that's, you know, super impressive about you and many other figure skaters who compete at that level is this insane sort of reckoning or ability to handle so many people watching you all at once for a less than 10 minute performance on little tiny pieces of metal so i would ask what have been some of your key components for yourself that have allowed you to perform under pressure
2: i've i've reflected on this a lot recently and i've really kind of learned a lot i think when i knew that i when i knew that i could win was kind of when i had the easiest time of it <laughs> i know that sounds weird but like it you know when it comes it came it comes down to preparation and everything else and if i was like if i was really prepared and i felt like going into a competition that i, I could win then it didn't matter how nervous i got or what i was feeling i like it was it it it, it happened like those kind of dream performances that you that you that people talk about when I, when I would go in just knowing I was prepared and knowing that I had a really good shot at not even winning, but like at doing the best that I could do, that was when I did my best. If I felt that I hadn't prepared fully or that something was lacking or that like it was going to be a really tough fight for me to do my best, I struggled like a lot mentally, physically, emotionally. And there's a lot of things that like I can chalk that up to but i also learned a lot after like post competition that i really didn't have a lot of gratitude for what i did at the time that i was doing it and now like as a I, I as a professional like figure skater i perform a lot and i enter the like i enter those spaces with a lot more gratitude where i feel lucky to be in those spaces and i feel lucky to get to do something that i've loved doing since i was 3 years old um, and that makes it so much easier for me, like showing up and realizing like my privilege and then having gratitude for that privilege. It just, it makes, I don't know, it makes the nerve so much more manageable. And I didn't have that when I was competing. And so like I was very like up and down, hit or miss. And it was like, I, I didn't, I didn't show up with a sense of gratitude for what I was doing. It all felt so important and it all felt so like all consuming and taking a step back and realizing like that i didn't have that perspective when i was going through my competitive experience like that is one thing that i wish i had had because it's really helped me now after the fact to like to be able to control my nerves and to enjoy and to actually enjoy what i'm doing there's like a lot of performances where it's like yeah I enjoyed it because I I I succeeded like in producing the hard work that I put in but I didn't like really enjoy it until you know until like I actually got what I deemed success and now I actually get to enjoy the entire process because I just have a different mindset about it because I feel grateful that I get to do it versus
0: entitled That's awesome. I was about to ask you what advice you have but I feel like that's what you just gave because the, the, the place I was going to go with it is like, um, going out of your comfort zone and doing something that you feel, you know, weird about, or you're not sure about. But while you were just talking, I was thinking about my experiences, early experiences with DMing, but also just in general, uh, you know, being a dungeon master where I'm just nervous about Mm -hmm. what could go wrong or looking foolish or all these other things. But then I love the way you just framed that at my best. I experience joy because I'm just doing the thing that I love to do and I'm lucky enough to have people with me that that are excited to do that thing with me. And those are the times I think when I'm at my best because that now we're just having fun. And yeah, there's lots of prep that's like backing that up, but it actually it's the fun part that steps forward and becomes the most prominent component of it.
2: Absolutely. It should be fun. It absolutely should be fun. Like that's like why else are we here? Why else are we doing like why are we playing games? Why are we playing sports? Why are we doing anything if it's not you know piggybacking off of that a piece of advice that i I would give and that i do give to people is like don't be afraid to fail because as soon as you give yourself permission to fail it takes so much pressure off of yourself and that was another thing that i've learned at post like post competition was just giving myself the permission to fail i actually fail less because i'm not so focused in on making the mistake that I like, I, I'm able to just go through it. And if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. We just get back up. We keep going. But I think in just kind of uh, like having that openness and that, that allowance to, are, are we censored? <laughs> like, no, you're yeah, like giving yourself like self the allowance to fuck up, you're going to do it less because you're not focusing on fucking up. You're focused right. on going through the process instead of,
0: worrying about whether or not you're going to make a mistake. That's excellent. Yeah. And and again, in the DM world, I think about like not knowing the rules to a T and this is something where it's, it's intimidating to be with Aaron around, around this stuff because he just internalizes all the rules. He just knows them. Yeah. He knows all the spells. He knows the range of effect on everything. (laughs) you You know what I mean? And I'm like, Ooh, I feel like I've heard of that before. And I don't know the answer, but again, I think that's where hopefully the joy comes back in. And also, and I'm wondering if this is true in your world as well, but I, I, I'm always going to be surrounded by people who like actually just care about me and aren't really that bummed uh, if I mess something up, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's okay. We'll just look it up. Keep going. Yeah. I
2: mean, I had a friend when I was younger tell, like, basically tell me like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like at the end of the day, you're still going to have friends and family that love you. And that's more important. It's hard to hear when you're a kid, like you don't know how to like rationalize that, but for sure. if you mess up as a dungeon master, like, I don't think your whole, like, everybody that's playing with you is not going to start flipping tables and burn your house down.
0: Yeah. It's kind of apples storages oranges, though, because as you were starting to talk, I was like, I wonder, Aaron mentioned about so many people uh, watching you. And so I just casually Googled how many, what's uh, average viewership of the Olympics. And what I saw was 3 billion. <laughs> 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 Something like that. So it's kind of apples storages oranges when I have like four friends. Maybe, maybe 1.5 of them I'm related to versus you know, <laughs> no. a chunk of the world uh, watching <laughs> me.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going to diminish at all what you're saying. Part of, for me is beyond just the dungeon meshing part is the player part. And that a lot of our player based, you know, we have a lot of people that join us who are neurodivergent or on the spectrum or, or chai, And, and they're, they're in that place where it's like four people feels like three billion. Right. And so for them is finding those quiet moments of how do I put myself out there and feel safe and perform, even if it's for such a small audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those struggles, you know, because sometimes you're in those social settings where you're like, even though I'm surrounded by friends, how do I then make that leap towards putting myself into something else? Because it's very performative. It's very much like doing a play or a musical except you're doing it in front of people, a smaller audience, and you, you may be unwilling to try and put more into it if you don't that sort of how do I push through this moment
2: yeah well I think like it kind of parallels with with skating in a way that like you know there's a very definite sense of community Hmm. you know people gravitate towards these things to find a sense of community but then as well like there is a performative aspect to it where you kind of like the the biggest thing for me with that I enjoyed with skating, like every year I kind of, I would change my music, I would change the way I moved, I would change all of it, but it was like allowing me to explore different aspects of who I am and, and how I get to like express that. And I get to like tap into different parts of who, who I am from year to year, month to month, even just like different parts of my personality. And I feel like that goes very much like Alongside with what you guys do, like you have a character and you kind of get to explore like your own, like parts of your own personality and your own emotions and and parts of who you are, like through that character. And I think like there's something really beautiful in that and just like kind of a, the
0: exploration of all of it. Well said. And Aaron, I think that's cool that you were talking about players because in thus far in this conversation, I've only been thinking about dungeon mastering. But I think you're right. The biggest barrier for people to join our little nerd hobby is the fear of embarrassment of Mm -hmm. not doing it right or being bad at it. And so I love this idea about just allowing yourself, even encouraging yourself to, to look foolish or do something poorly because most likely, and I actually learned this trying to learn French, the more I would just lean into it and feel like a complete idiot, the more I would do it right. (laughs) And I don't know if that's unique to French.
1: possibly.
0: But I would literally like I wasn't get the accent right, and then I would do like I would be just like hamming it up like to the nth degree, and the the professor would be like, "Yes, perfect," and I'd be like, "Oh my god, it's wild." Okay, so Jeremy, I wrote this question, and then I read it. I read it back, and I know that it could be taken a couple different ways, but I'm interested in how you take it. Are there Olympic nerds? Are there Olympic nerds? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I.
2: A lot of people that I know like are in, well, I have a few friends that play Dungeons and Dragons. I have other friends that love board games in general, like settlers of Catan and stuff like that. And then tons of like comic book, tons of manga, manga, anime, comic books, like m- the Marvel DC, uh, the, so, uh, um. A lot of people that I know are are very much like there's definitely crossover into those uh, into those worlds. But I think like just in general, I, I feel like the whole needle has been moving more direction, like more towards that direction. And just in pop culture in general, mm-hmm. um, I feel like being a nerd is not niche anymore. It's like being a nerd is cool.
0: Yeah, I wish I felt cool, uh, but it's definitely not something <laughs> to be shunned. Like it used to be. Um, okay, so the other way I thought you could have taken that was: Are there nerds about Olympics? Oh, oh, oh! oh and uh, there wasn't a cor- there wasn't a correct one. And then the third interpretation I thought of was: Are there Olympian gods that are nerds? Because that that question could be taken the I think at least those three ways. But anyway, what was your what was your answer to that second one?
2: Oh yeah, for sure, there are people that are like massively obsessed with the Olympics collect autographs, collect photos, collect memorabilia, collect pins, collect, like, I I think, you know, there is every subsect of the human species has <laughs> some sort of like obsession in, in, in one form or another, Yeah, but yeah, definitely the Olympics brings it out in, in, in people. And I've seen all sorts of different like types of Olympic nerds. Not just like, It it, it really has, it's a whole spectrum.
1: <laughs> so I know you know, I, I know that Brian isn't necessarily as familiar with a lot of your skating, but I know that not only just your skating, but then also a lot of your coaching, you, you do a really good job about putting music with choreography. And that's pretty important for us in our hobby, whether it's writing to music or whether it's setting music for a particular scene or, you know, there's general ambiance. So, you know, I guess, you know, how are you finding yourself choosing music? Is it Based upon the mood, based upon the person you're developing for, you know what. What are your normal methodologies for picking the right sort of score to go with what you're trying to achieve?
2: I I find inspiration in everything, honestly. Like I've I've drawn in. I honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I've drawn a lot of inspiration from like cartoons and like animation and stuff like that. But for myself, it was always like. What was I, like, when it came time to start choreographing or, like, to get, like, to receive choreography, I I would often choose the music. Not always, like, sometimes I would have choreographers who would choose music for me, but always kind of, like, in a collaborative sort of way. Because I very much, like, since, I I mean, I have to thank my, my mom for this, like, since the time I was young, like, I was always really encouraged to pick my own music and to kind of be a part of that whole process but it was just like okay what what piece of myself do i want to share with my audience this year what am i feeling in my life right now who do i who do i feel like i am who do i want to be do i want to portray someone else do i want to like do i want it to be joyous do i want to dance so there's like it kind of comes from a lot of different places or sometimes i would just hear a piece of music and just feel super super inspired by it and like i have to i have to move to it Or I'd be listening to music and I could see myself skating to it. And I was like, well, that's, that's it. So it it really comes from a lot of places or it came from a lot of places, like for myself, for my students, it depends on their age and their level. When they're older, I like to ask them those sorts of questions. Like who, who do you want people to like, what do you want people to see? How do you want to express yourself? Who do you want to, who do you want to be? Do you want to tell a story? Do you want to share an emotion? Do you want to, like, I, I try to ask all of those questions. If it's younger ones, I like I like when they're involved, but then I'll try to kind of guide them or find something that I feel like will help them grow. So I, I try not to pick something that's, like, overly mature or, like, juvenile. Like, I, I try to pick something that's, like, maybe a little bit above their level that they can then, like, grow into. That's awesome.
0: Okay, back to the nerd talk. <laughs> um, do you consider yourself a nerd? <laughs> What's your experience with uh tabletop role playing games and will you play uh d d with us um
2: yes mildly and definitely um good answer <laughs> yeah that's the best thing no i i definitely like i i don't know I think I'm a nerd I think i was even If when I didn't think I was a nerd, I definitely think people considered me one. Uh, Tabletop role playing games, like I have played a few, would love to play more, and I would definitely play D and D with you guys.
1: Very cool. Well, we are you know running most the week over Christmas break, so that'll be fun. I'm gonna sounds like you don't have a a choice.
2: (laughs) Like I was asked and I like immediately said, yes, I was here for it. So (laughs) bring it on. I'm going (laughs) to lose, but it's fine.
0: That that one's super fun because it's mostly role-playing. It's just Mm. mostly just feeling out
1: what your character would do and then just doing it. It's going to be so fun. All right. It's pretty sweet. All right. So this one's always the the tough one for most people when we talk to them. What didn't we ask you today that we should or that you want to talk about?
0: You didn't ask it of me, but can I ask a question? Which Olympics were you at? What city are we in? What year are we in? I I don't actually know the answers. Oh,
2: <laughs> sorry. I went to 2010 and 2014 in Vancouver. 2010 was Vancouver and 2014 was Sochi.
0: So those were the two I competed. Okay. I was just buying you some time, but you still have to answer your answer questions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I never come in. Like we didn't really discuss much of like what we'd be talking about, um, so I don't I didn't come in with any sort of expectation and I love the questions that you guys asked and, you know, just kind of gives me an opportunity to speak openly and candidly about figure skating. And I think it's cool, like just discussing how these things kind of relate to one another and, you know, there's just a commonality in so much of what people do and yet we just like fracture ourselves, but like... <laughs> There's such a like there's such a common lived experience and I, I, I think it's cool to find those connections and those common threads.
0: That's yeah. uh, I agree. And when you were talking, I, I Aaron was so confident this was going to be a great episode and I I just trusted him, but I was like, I have no idea what uh ice skating has to do with TD. But as you were talking, I'm like, I, as you just said, it has a lot to do with it. And it's I think about the basic component of like just going for it just committing to something and continuing to do it even when it gets hard and it starts to feel icky or frustrating to just keep going and i know you know since aaron and i have started this whole thing we've definitely both had those walls that we've kind of hit you know what i mean we had these early conversations of like we're full of so much energy and so much enthusiasm what happens when we hit the wall yeah like what do we say to each other (laughs) what if it just becomes work It was a really depressing thought, but it definitely, there's times when we do kind of hit the wall. So that was the thing that was most inspiring that you said was like, maybe it isn't the most talented people. Maybe it's just people who just keep pressing on.
2: Yeah. And I think like, especially with, well, with anything, I think it's like, there's going to be points where you're like, why am I, why am I doing this? Like You kind of forget why you enjoy it and it does be feel become work. And it's like, that's when you kind of have to remind yourself of like why you started in the first place and like what got you excited about it and keep that like, I mean, if you're an adult or or a child, it's like at whatever point you started, it's like keep that kind of sense of excitement even through like when you hit those walls or hit those plateaus, it's like you just look back and like, oh yeah, this is why I love this and then commit to to that aspect of it. You know, because we do get so like lost in the sauce sometimes thinking like, oh, we have to be the best at something or we have to be perfect at something or we have to be like continually growing. It's like this is an activity you enjoy. So enjoy it. Like, why does it have to be anything more than that?
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. It's the virtue is in enjoying it, not in mastering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's some of the best game master advice you can hear right there, folks. Literally, so, it is. <laughs> so ice skating does have something to do with DMing.
2: Ha! Ah. <laughs> And we found the common thread.
0: What, what if I started by saying, Jeremy? I think this is kind of bullshit. I don't know why you're here.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would have been like you and me both. But let's figure get out together. <laughs> we should have had like a snarky little online chat. Like, what the hell's Aaron up to, man?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think that we should do a we should do a follow up podcast after you play Monster of the Week, and then we'll pick your brain on that one. So that would be fun. Yeah, because then you'll have even more knowledge. You'll have dipped your toes into these waters as well. Absolutely. Cool. And whatever you guys want. Aaron, get him drunk over Christmas and then let's do it when he's tipsy. <laughs> Perfect.
1: All right, that'll work.
2: You guys will get the best interview you've had <laughs> uh,
1: Well, I um, think that's uh last of my questions if you have some, Brian. Well, I was just going to
0: say, Jeremy, I think it's really disarming the way you began by saying, I don't know, I, I did some cool stuff, but I now I just watch Netflix. <laughs> because I think it, it, I don't know, I'm trying to, figure out exactly what that dynamic is but we've had other guests who've done that and i think it's brilliant and i think it's really it draws you in and aaron the other one i'm thinking about is chelsea the selkie did that we had this guest and she's like i don't know guys i'll do my best but i don't really know that much i'm kind of new here and i was like oh my god that is so humble and so awesome that that's the way you think because a lot of people especially if they feel like they've got a lot of experience present themselves in exactly the opposite way And so I think you could have come here with a swagger and, you know, schooled us about stuff, but instead you were like, yeah, no, I know a thing or two. So I just wanted to, I guess, compliment you on that. I think that's a really great way to begin a conversation and a relationship to, you know, just be humble. Well, thank you.
2: Yeah. I think, I don't know. So much of my life, like I like skating and my success, I felt like defined me. And then, um, you just kind of move on from a certain period of your life and you're like, Oh, well, nobody cares cares realistically. (laughs) And so now it's like, okay, well, what does define me? And I'm, I'm proud of, I'm certainly proud of everything that I I, I worked for and accomplished. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a stepping stone. And now it's like, now I get to explore what else defines me and what else like, I have to offer to this place, like to, to my life and to the people around me more than just like figure skating. And if that's it, that's it. That's cool. But you know, there's, I think I'm still learning and I'm still growing. And I, I think anybody who tells you that they have all the answers is, is selling something. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody has all the answers. We're all constantly learning and evolving and growing and, even things that we believe that we like strictly know an answer to, like we're always going to learn more about it and and realize that nothing's set in stone.
0: Yeah. I think there's a beauty in that too, that better to be known for who you are than what you've done. Yeah. Specifically, because what you've done is over. And that would be really (laughs) sad if that was your whole persona was things that you did. Yeah, the
2: the, I the best of my life was at 28 years old, and everything was downhill after that. I
0: <laughs> want to be Uncle Rico here. <laughs> you could have also began the conversation like that, which would have been a whole other way to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> Catching me on the back nine, guys. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> shitty back here. <laughs> Actually, I have a question for you guys. For sure. both of you.
2: like, what got you? Interested in, pl- in playing and DMing and like what what was it that like really excited you about D and D and made you want to to play and to to learn and to
1: be better at it? Sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Do you want to start us off, Brian? Since yours is the more recent one.
0: Yeah. So- Aaron refers to me as a COVID baby because I came to the game during COVID, mm-hmm. but I was obsessed with it when I was a kid, and to me, it was the coolest most inspiring thing in the world this imaginary place where there was heroes and dragons and magic and all these things and to my shock other kids made fun of me for it you know like i literally i couldn't think of anything cooler and i couldn't wait to share it with my classmates i think this was maybe fifth grade i brought the monster manual to school and they were merciless about it to the point where i put it back in my bag and i took it home and i never brought it back And so I never really played. And then during COVID, I just sort of remembered like, hey, I used to love this thing. And I'm kind of maybe going to have a nervous breakdown. So maybe I'll just dust this off. And I realized I could play online. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the thing that, so that's the, the story of how I came to it. But the thing that keeps me really fresh and really inspired is introducing other people to the hobby, which is why I'm constantly recruiting. Like last mm-hmm. week, we were we were joking that we're like nerd zombies and we're just trying to convert everyone. But to me, it's it's this healing process where if I can encourage and invite people to a thing that I think is really special, even for a short time, even if it's just for a night that they'll they'll engage with me, then I feel like I, I'm I'm healing myself and this this old wound that I have, which yeah, that's really beautiful.
1: Well, I guess for mine, I, I never mentioned this before, but I would say that part of it starting was my mom was really big in a high fantasy adventure for a long time. So like obsessed with like Conan and everything else. I, I kind of liked it too, you know, I guess by proxy. But then from there, it's like you start finding out, this oh, there's kind of a cool little game you can play. And then, you know, like like Brian said, it wasn't necessarily some cool kids did. It was very hard to find people who were chill with that sort of environment it's hard to find safe spaces around it but i love comic books i loved i love those books and so i also loved having a stable fun game where i could use my imagination and have other people have fun and so it was it was like a way of playing a board game but more and more invested in like creating your own narratives and stories and but you know like one of the things we talked about in the last podcast with with emmy where she was talking about how it's for your friends again is that there is a certain intimacy, I think, to these tables where you are vulnerable moments of what do I do? Like, how do I act this out? Uh, what would I do in the situation? And oftentimes other of people are, are doing things they wouldn't normally do in their regular life, where they are more confident. They are more strong. They are more present. And, and it's, it's great to share in those moments. And I think that it's, it's been hard to, I think, walk away with that. It's, it's one of those things is very much a, a fun hobby for me where it's about, finding that sort of togetherness around something that's kind of cool at the same time
2: that's so cool I love that
1: my
0: new favorite fact is that your mom loved Conan the barbarian oh yeah I don't know what I'm going to do with this fact yet I'm just (laughs) going to just going to hold it close (laughs) that's excellent (laughs) what a great conversation yeah Jeremy thank thank you. you so much for joining us
2: yeah thank you both for having me this was really fun I can't wait to play monster of the week and then discuss further (laughs) For sure.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening this week. Please check us out on Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy too. Thanks everybody.